let's open with the word of prayer. Um, today's message is titled, Grace Comes by Faith in Jesus. Father, we, uh, we come before you just asking that you would speak through, um, through this message, Lord, that your words would go forth, your spirit would speak, Lord, and um, we'd be receptive to what you want to show us, Lord. We thank you for your word and just all the lessons and truth we find in it and how it's just your, your way of revealing yourself, Lord. Um, John talks about how you are the word and the word is you, Lord, and we just thank you that, for what a gift it is, Lord, and we pray you would just um, open our hearts to it this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I am so thankful for Pastor Sean and his focus on the message of grace. He's just always talking about grace. I mean, it's kind of like even our name, right? We're White Flag Calvary because of the idea of surrender as one of the things that is a prerequisite to God's grace in our life. And I, I feel like me personally, I've been blessed by it here at White Flag, and I've seen the fruit of it in our church. And grace is something I'm very passionate about. I started learning about it about seven years ago, um, and it just transformed my life. Um, there's so much freedom, peace, and joy and hope in it. I was, I, was, I was saved at a very young age, and I was the captain of the Try Harder Christian Club. You know, I just, I, I knew that I loved God, and I wanted, to be, I wanted to be godly. I read the Bible. It told me where the standard was, and I, I, I aimed at it. I'm like, man, I want to be that. And I tried, and I failed, and I struggled, and I tried some more, and I fasted, and I prayed, and I committed, and I, I swore I'd never do things again, and, and I just struggled. And, and it, it was this place of, of shame and condemnation and, uh, and just very, uh, it was hopeless at times. You know, it's like I, I know that there's someone open Jesus, but I don't necessarily see it in my life. And, and I struggle with this. And I, uh, it's interesting because in Steve McVeigh in his book Grace Walk talks about it. That kind of Christianity is something you don't want to share with your friends. You're like, hey, you should check this out. God, he's amazing. Jesus, it's awesome. You'll, you'll get saved and then try really hard and fail and feel condemnation. It's great. You should try it. You know, it's just miserable. And, and, I, and, and I don't think that's, we know that's not what God wants for us. And it was about seven years ago that I started learning about grace. And, and it was transforming. And, and, and the, the issue was I didn't understand the full gospel. The good news. What is the gospel? The good news of God. I, I understood that he died to forgive my sins and get me to heaven. And I, and I, I bought it and I got that part. But where I was lost was, that's just the beginning of grace. The real message of grace is that God not only wants to make you right in your standing before him, but he wants to then change you and pour his grace out on your life and create a new, a new you. And it's a powerful message. Um, Romans 8.1 says that those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, there's now no condemnation. Not someday, not there's only a little condemnation, but there is no condemnation right now. When we are in Christ, we're free from condemnation. We don't have to walk in that shame and guilt and, and fear and struggling and striving. Um, and this is for now. This is, you know, in heaven we'll be perfect. But till then, we're, we're going we're gonna to be in these bodies and we're going to struggle with sin. But we don't have to, we don't have to struggle with, with condemnation and, and, and shame and guilt because Jesus has dealt with all that. Um, and it's amazing because as you learn to walk in grace, you learn to stop striving and trying. You find that, that you just start changing. And it's incredible because it's, it's not anything you do. It's just God's amazing power working through us. Um, Ezekiel 36.26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit w- within you. I will take out the heart of stone. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I love that picture of God taking this hard, cold heart that I have and he's just transforming it. And it's not anything I do. All I bring to the table is faith and humility. And he does the rest. It's a powerful message 
and it's one that's meant so much to my life. Um, here's my plain English de- definition of grace, and then I'll give you one that's much more well thought out. I, my definition of grace is we're broken, Jesus can fix us. All we bring to the table is humility and faith, brokenness and dependence, honesty and trust. Jesus brings the rest, transformation, hope, peace, joy, salvation, righteousness, change. He does it all for free. It's just, it just comes with the package. It's amazing. Bob Hoekstra has a very well thought out definition of grace, and I want to share that with you. He says, grace is God's free provision for us through his son. And grace manifests itself as we trust in the person and work of his son by granting us all that we would need, all that we would yearn for, and all that we are commanded to walk in and become. And all this is granted despite our inadequacy and the fact that we could never deserve, could never earn, and could never produce the merit that would earn or deserve these gifts on our own. In light of all that we've learned about grace over the last few years, I mean, Tom teaches about it every week, I, I, I was struggling a couple weeks ago. And I was just struggling with some things internally, and, and I was praying about it, and the Lord revealed something interesting to me. He, uh, he showed me that I had kind of almost laser-focused in on grace, and I'd missed Jesus. Like, I was focused on the what of grace and not the who. And grace is this funny thing that it comes through Jesus. If it's not through relationship in Jesus, it's not some vending machine we go, you know, put in a couple quarters and get some grace for our day. It's, it comes through relationship with Jesus. And it was really, it was one of those, oh man, this is, this is obvious to me. But at the time, I had to kind of, the Lord had to kind of show me my heart. I gotten off base. I was like, Lord, I need your help for the battles in front of me. Let's go. I'm, I'm done. That's all I need from you. And, and, and he wants more than that. He wants a relationship with us. Um, and he's gracious in that he, he lets us flounder sometimes in those places. He's like, I'm going to let you struggle a little while until you realize that you're off base. And that's, that's his grace. And, and I thought that was really cool. Um, as Roman 8, Romans 8 says, we can either walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And I was walking in the flesh, but try and kind of throw some, some spirit on top of it. And it just wasn't working. Um, grace is not a resource. Jesus is the resource. Grace is the name for God working in and through our lives. And Bob Hoekstra uses the phrase, through the relational realities. It's this, it's this thing that happens only in relationship. Relational realities of faith and humility. Without relationship with Jesus, there is no grace. And today we're going to look at a story in Joshua chapter 7 that really illustrates this, this point. Um, and I think, I think part of what really spoke to my heart in this is that we, we, we bring humility and faith to the equation with, with grace. And the opposite of those are pride and self-sufficiency. And we're going to see that those are things that, 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 are, that, that, that really can cause us trouble. Um, in this story, it's a story about Joshua, the people of Israel, and the city of Ai. And a couple of things about grace will be illustrated through the story. The first one is we lose access to grace when we stop being in relationship with Jesus. We stop spending time with us. He can't pour his grace through our lives. We need to spend that time. And we're going to cover a little later what that looks like to spend time in relationship with him. Secondly, we need grace for the little things. It's often, often the little, little battles, the little things in life that we tend to be like, oh, I got this. Thanks, God. Thanks for getting me this far. I'll take care of this. And those are the ones that trip us up because it's so easy for our self-sufficiency to slip in there. And we're like, I don't need you for this. I got this. And I think the Lord allows us to trip on those little things because because that's such a big issue if we get off on the self-sufficiency side and stop depending on him. And the third thing is just the dangers of sin. Sin always brings destruction, and we see that hidden sin is especially destructive. Let me, let me catch you up on the history. So um, where we are in chapter 7 of Joshua 
is like 500 years ahead of where Pastor Sean is teaching on Sunday mornings. So Sean's been teaching through Genesis, right? We've gone through the, the creation, Adam and Eve, the flood, and he's got into the patriarchs, right? We've talked about Abraham, we've talked about Isaac, and we've talked about Jacob. And that's about where we are. I haven't listened to the sermon from last week, but he's somewhere in the story of Jacob. And uh, Jacob will, have, will get married a couple times and have 12 kids. And one of those kids, Joseph, will get sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And most of you know the story of Joseph. The Lord uses Joseph to rescue his family from the famine. And so Jacob and his entire family, it was about 70 people at that time, moved to Egypt. And they escaped the famine and they survived the famine. And then we have this 400-year gap, and we pick up in Exodus, and there's 2 to 4 million Israelites living in Egypt. And Moses comes on the scene, and they're all slaves, and Moses comes on the scene and helps them get set free, and they go across the Sinai Desert, and they go to enter the Promised Land, and in a great illustration of, of grace, they see the massive challenges ahead of them, the giants, the fortified cities, and they go, in my self-sufficiency, we can't do this, we'll die, we're not going. And their lack of faith, their self-sufficiency was a, was a derailer. And they spent 40 years wandering in the desert because they didn't trust that the Lord could take them through these crazy challenges. And so they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. And at the end of that 40 years, Moses dies and Joshua takes over. And he leads them into the promised land. They cross the Jordan. And um, chapter 6 covers the story of Jericho. I don't know if you remember reading, hearing the story of Jericho as you were, when you were a kid. But Joshua chapter 6 tells the story of Jericho. And Jericho was this city that had these massive walls. I found some um, research on it, and they said that um, the mound or tell of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen rampart or embankment with the stone retaining wall at its base and at the top. The retaining wall at the base was some, f- some 15 feet high, and on top of that was a mud brick wall um, 20 to 30 feet high. So there was like a 40 to 50 foot wall at the base of the earthen rampart. And then there was a big mound of earth and then another wall that was another 40 or 50 feet tall behind it. We're talking an impossible city to conquer. They didn't have siege works or, or they didn't have the ability to um, conquer. And, and, the bio, and the research says that the time of year that they were there, they just brought in the harvest. They had plenty of food. They had a, they had a spring in this out town. There was no way the Jews were going to crack this city. It was impossible. And it's, a, it's an incredible picture of our lives because... We all run into these things that are impossibilities, right? We have, um, we have things we can't conquer, health issues, addictions, circumstances, flaws in our character, the sin in our lives that we've tried and tried to change, these things that we are powerless to change. We, have, we don't have the resources to fix them. We've tried. We've failed. And this city is a picture of that, right? This city they cannot conquer. And much like grace, God asks, tells them how to conquer it in a very humbling way. He says, hey, I want you guys to walk in circles for days. Take, your, take the ark, walk around the town once a day, silent, except for blowing the ram's horn, and that's all I want you to do for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk in circles seven times. Go around it seven times, and at the end, blow the ram's horn and shout. And they, went, they didn't go, well, that's stupid. What's that going to do? They went, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you in humility and faith and say, let's see. Let's see what God does. Joshua had faith. And they did it, and they walked around it, and the walls crumbled, and they went in, and they didn't have to do anything. The walls crumbled, they walked in, they conquered the city. It was amazing. And reading some of the archaeology, it's incredible. They talk about how they find all these crushed 
crushed ruins everywhere at this level, about 1500 BC. And um, it's just incredible that, 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 that the archaeology even fits what we believe, or what this says. And it's a beautiful picture because I think that God often has taken us in our lives and said, hey, that impossible thing in your life, I want to fix it by maybe making you walk in what you think is walking in circles. You know, it's, it's often humility and faith is required because it's like, well, what do I do to fix myself? He's like, trust me. Walk with me. Don't do anything. Let me do it. We're like, that, how does that help? I, I, I'm just going to be going in circles. And, and we need to trust the Lord and watch him work in mighty ways in our lives. One more important detail about the story of Jericho. There was one commandment that was very important. And that commandment was any gold and silver and precious items that were found belonged to the Lord. The Lord gets our first fruits. He gets a tithe. Whatever, we, whatever we're given and we receive, we, we give the first part to the Lord as, as a way of thanking him for it. And he said, this first city you conquer, the contents of it are mine. And whoever, whoever takes of that is cursed. And so that's an important sto- um, point that we'll get to in a second. So let's read chapter 7. And we're going to read it all the way through. And then, um, thank you. We'll chat about the things inside of it. So, Joshua chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Get up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck them down, about thirty-six of them, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord, God, why have you brought, all us, uh, brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen it and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord of God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes so come according to families, and the families which the Lord takes shall come by household, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, 
And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zaharites. And he brought the family of the Zaharites, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered the Lord and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messages, messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garments, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, the wedge of gold, his, I'm sorry, the sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tents, and all the, that he had, and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to the day, this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Angkor to this day. It's a very sad story. It's a, there's a lot to unpack here, and we're going to dig into it. Um, you know, we obviously learned that Achan kept some of the spoils and uh, you know, didn't honor the Lord's command there. And I think this is how it happens in our lives often. We have this massive victory, and the Lord does some amazing things. And it's, well, our hearts are so fickle. And even in the midst of that, sometimes well, there's a piece of our heart that's, that's holding on to something or, 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 is, or is failing us. And, and I think we can learn some things about Achan in our hearts, and we're going to come back to that. But first, I want to focus on Joshua, because I think there's some really important things to unpack about Joshua in this story. And the first one is in verse 2. It says, now, when Joshua, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Joshua has been so faithful up until this point in leading the Jews. He, he sought the Lord every step of the way. They're, in the, they're in the, on the other side of the Jordan, and he says, How do we cross the Jordan? And God says, you know, you, you have the, the priests put their feet in and the, the Jordan will dry up and then you'll cross. And then, and then they deal with their flesh. The Lord tells them how to deal with their flesh and so they all get circumcised. And, and then he gives them very specific details on how to conquer Jericho. And he's, he's listened for the Lord's direction every step of the way. And when we get to this story, all of a sudden he goes, let's go check this out. Go scout it out for me. Tell me what it looks like. And I think it's... Um, I think it's sad because I think, uh, I think if he had stopped and prayed and said, Lord, what do you want me to do next? Or Lord, I think we're going to go conquer AI. Do you have some instructions for me? I think the Lord would have stopped him and said, you can't go any further until you deal with what's going on. We need to deal with the sin in the camp before you can go further. But instead he went, hey, this looks pretty easy. A couple thousand men can take this. Let's take this on. And, and, and he fell back. We have that same problem too, I think often. We're so busy in life, there's always something going on, and, and we're, we miss out on just stopping and listening to the Lord. What does he have for us today? Does he want to redirect our paths? Does he want to say something to us? And even sometimes like our quiet times, we're like, Lord, I got to get through these three chapters of scripture, and I got to write my journal, and I got to pray, and then I got to go to work. 
And, and there's this sense of just we can sometimes make God just one of the things we do, one of the things on the checklist. And I think in some sense that's where Joshua was. He's like, there's 500 cities to conquer. This one looks easy. Let's take it out. Let's just knock this off the list. And I think we have to be careful with that. We need to wait on the Lord. It's a key part of, of walking in grace is waiting upon the Lord, listening to him. Our hearts really listening to what he has for us. Um, and it's really interesting because even the names, you know, Pastor Sean is so good at like pulling really cool nuggets out of the names of things. Well, the city of Ai, Ai means heap or heap of ruin. And it says there in uh, verse 3 that Ai is besides Beth-Avon. And Beth-Avon means house of vanity. And I think in our lives often we run into a heap of trouble, a heap of, of ruin because of our vanity. They're, they're together. They're connected. And I think in this case, there's a little bit of that with, with, with Joshua. He's like, we got this. We're pretty cool. We're, we, we've won a battle. Look at us. We can take this city. There's pride. And, and pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is one of the things that, that keeps us from walking in God's grace. And I think it's really important. And, and the sad thing is, you know, sometimes those decisions where we don't listen for the Lord have serious consequences. Joshua not listening to the Lord meant 36 men died. And that was on him. You know, he was the one who didn't seek the Lord. And it's, it's the challenge of leadership. He's in a leadership position. He gets that, that, that heaviness. But we all are leaders in our families or in our jobs. And I, and, and I think when we don't stop and listen to the Lord, sometimes that has serious consequences for those around us. And so it's so important. I, I think often the Lord wants to get our attention. He sees things that we don't see. His ways are not our ways. His priorities are not our priorities. And and oftentimes there's things going on in our world that we can't see, you know? Maybe something's going on in our kid's life that we'll never know about, but the Lord knows about. And if you stop and listen, he's going to get your attention to stop and talk with them and find out what it is and minister to something you'd never know about unless you listen to him. It's very important to, to, to be in that place where we're really listening for the Lord. And, and I'm going to go come back to that in a few minutes and talk about practical ways we can really plug in to listen to the Lord on a daily basis and really hear from him. Um, but I want to move on to my second point here, which is um, kind of picks up in verse 3. He says, um, in verse 3 he says, And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up, and from there the people, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And in this second lesson, I think what I see here is, um, is, is the danger of self-sufficiency. They saw how easy the battle could be. They said, we just conquered Jericho, look at us. Even though they didn't really conquer Jericho, right? The Lord brought the walls down. They're like, hey, we could do this AI thing. We got this. And, and, and they started relying on their self. And, and it's, it's human nature. It's what we do. I mean, my two-year-old. He is just obsessed with doing things himself. He wants to feed himself. He wants to put the lid on things. He, he is obsessed with, with, with doing things himself now. He's at that age. And it's good. I don't want to be dressing him when he's 18. I don't want to be dressing him when he's five, right? Like, it's good that he's learning to do these things for himself. Um, and it's also part of our, kind of our DNA as Americans, right? We, we, we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstrap. I'm a self-made man, you know? And, and, and there's some good to it. I think it's, uh, in some ways, it's very much based in Scripture, that mindset in our Western culture because we are responsible for our actions. That's very clear in Scripture. We're responsible for ourselves. And so there's, a, there's an importance to taking care of ourselves and be responsible for ourselves and doing our part. But I think the issue becomes spiritually when you apply those, 
those ideas to spiritual things, there's a fundamental flaw, and that is the resources we're working with. We're working with broken resources. Our, our flesh is broken. Our own efforts are broken. And so when we try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, our bootstraps don't help us because they're flawed. And, and that's why self-sufficiency is so dangerous is we try to build, our, build our, world, our, our holiness with unholy things and it just can't work. Um, turn with me real quick to Romans chapter 7 because Romans chapter 7 is one of my favorite sections on this subject. As Paul just kind of laments the um, the challenges of being a human and 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 being in these these bodies that are broken and having these this flesh that fights against our every move. Um, verse eighteen. In the the verse um, verse verse thirteen through twenty five really is just one of my favorite sections of scripture because it just talks about how how we're stuck in these bodies and everything we want to do, we don't do. And what we don't want to want do, we do. And, and Paul says, who can separate us from this body of death? It's just this thing that fights us. And the key verse for me here is verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And that's the key. Inside of us we have the will. Like I desire to be holy, but there's nothing inside of me that can accomplish that. And any time we focus back in on ourselves on trying or, or doing better or doing more or, or any of those things, we come up short because there aren't resources inside of us to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. Um, even our hearts will go against us. As he, uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Even our hearts are, are fighting against us in that they're so fickle and distracted by things. And, and we have these desires to serve the Lord, but there's all these things warring within ourselves that, that keep us from succeeding. And that's why when we are walking without God, we're destined to fail. When we're walking in self-sufficiency, we're always going to end up in that same place. The best example of that is the Pharisees. These were the guys who knew the rules. They knew the rules better than anybody. They took the rules and said, well, this rule's ambiguous, so I'm going to define it. I want to make sure I know exactly how many grains of rice I can pick up before it's considered work. They took the rules and defined them so clearly so that they knew exactly what they were so they could follow them. And they were the ultimate in try harder, do better, follow the rules, lift themselves up by their bootstraps people. And, and I think it's really interesting when you read the Gospels to watch how Jesus treats people. He comes across prostitutes or tax collectors who were stealing from people or these known sinners and he's gentle and he's patient, and he's loving. Because he knows that they're in this place where they know that they're broken, and they understand that they need him, and they want to hear from him. The Pharisees, though, he's very direct with them, and very aggressive, and very strong. Because he knows that they're in that self-righteous, self-sufficient place. They don't need him, and they, he knows it, and they know it. And I think it's, it's an important picture that, that when we become self-sufficient, we become a Pharisee. We start picking and choosing the rules we're going to follow, and we, we, we line up our list and we say, this is, this is how I know I'm good. I'm doing these things. But as Sean always talks about, the, the, the law is up here. If you try to measure yourself by the law, you always come up short. If you try harder, you always come up short. Um, Bob Hoekstra uses the illustration, if you try to use the law to justify yourself, it's like using a yardstick. You know, when you were a kid, you had a three-foot yardstick, right? You all remember those, the wood ones? And if you're not quite three feet, you know, you're two feet, eight inches, and you want to be three feet tall, well, then just break off two inches off the top and eat it. And then you'll get there. 
It doesn't do you any good, right? It's, it's, it's ludicrous. But that's what we are doing when we look at the law and try to say, hey, this is what the law says. I'm going to live up to it so I can justify myself. You'll never get there. It's, it's eaten wood. It, it doesn't do you any good. When we rely on ourselves, we're going to fail. And this is not a, a shame thing or beat ourselves up thing. We don't need to get lost in, hey, see, I'm a failure again. It's just, it's just like a humility thing. I think we often think of humility as thinking less of ourselves. But I think true humility is thinking accurately of ourselves. You know, we, we, don't, we don't need to beat ourselves up or get lost in shame. Just be real. There's, we're okay. We're, we're, all, we're all in the same boat here. We're all stuck in these broken bodies that fight against our every desire. And we're all going to screw up. So why do we get stuck there? Why are we disappointed in ourselves? And I think, I think many of us have learned that lesson the hard way. And I, and I think you can see another picture of it in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just one long story about the Jews seeing God's standard and saying, oh, let's try to live up to it. We swear we're going to do better. And then failing. And then having consequences. And then repenting and coming back and doing it over and over and over again. And, and I, I feel like my first 20 years of my faith were my Old Testament period, where that was me, week after week, trying harder, doing better, swearing better. You know, I'm going to do better now. And, and it just is, it's fruitless. But when we find this hope in Jesus, in that he's got the sufficiency for us, there's hope. There's peace. There's joy. I don't have to struggle anymore. I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to feel condemnation anymore. I don't have to feel like I don't measure up anymore. You know, I don't have to pretend like I'm doing okay, but on the inside I feel like I'm struggling again this week, but I'm going to do better next week. I can just be like, yeah, I'm struggling this week. But God is faithful. God is sufficient. And there's so much joy there. There's so much, so much hope there. Um, you know, and, and I, think, I think there's so much freedom when we just rely on the Lord. Back to my two-year-old. When he runs up to something he can't do, he doesn't try harder or fight with it or, or try to figure it out. He just runs and gets my help, gets Julie's help. He goes, hey, help or fix this or take care of this. I can't do this. And God says we need to come with childlike faith. We need to have that faith and just go to God. Hey, I don't have any resources for this. It's your problem. I'm going to rest in you. And it's a powerful picture, that childlike faith. There's a reason Jesus used that. Stop struggling. Stop striving. Stop relying on yourself and just rest in Jesus' sufficiency. And watch him just do amazing things in your life. Um, And also thank him when he allows you to fail. Because I find that those failures are often his way of saying, Hey, you're relying on yourself again. I'm, I'm putting this, this hiccup in your way to get you trusting in me again. And it's gracious. It's so gracious of him to let us struggle sometimes, to, to remind us to walk in his sufficiency. And now we get to move on to the heavy part of the story, the story of Achan. Um, you know, sin, we all sin, and, you know, it has, this, it has consequences. And it's, it's hard. Jesus paid the price for our sins, so we... If we, if we trust in Jesus for our salvation, we know that we are getting into heaven and our sin won't keep us from heaven. That he's forgiven us, that positionally we're, we're, we're set right with God. God looks at us and he says, I see you as holy and forgiven because my son died for you. But that doesn't mean that there's not consequences, that it doesn't take a heavy toll on our lives, that it's not painful. I mean, I think every day we all run into that within ourselves or those around us. Just watch the news. It's full of the consequences of sin. It's, it's very hard to watch. It's very hard to see. And, you know, these things, angers, lies, lust, greed, selfishness, all these sins, they often are almost the most destructive in our families and our churches and our communities, relationships. In this story, Achan's sin destroys his family. It's very destructive to his family. His greed 
cause some major consequences for his family. Our sin affects others. We don't live in a bubble. In this case, it affected all the Israelites. 36 men died because of Achan's greed. And we have to, we have, sin is a heavy thing. Um, it saps our spiritual strength. In verse 12, it says, um, Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies. We find sometimes that when there's sin in our lives, it's a big cause of our struggles. We're struggling in the face of spiritual opposition. A lot of times there's some sin there we need to deal with. It saps our spiritual strength. And I think we really struggle to talk about sin. Like there's like a hush that falls over our hearts when we start talking about sin. It's like, ah, this is hard. I don't like preaching about it. I don't think we like talking about it. And I think it's, it's a, for a couple of things. One, it's convicting. We all have sin. It's, it's hard to talk about the, the areas where we come short of. And we don't want to think about it. We want to dwell there. It exposes our powerlessness. I think, you know, we have this grand visions that we got it. We got this together. But when our sin's truly exposed, our self-sufficiency is exposed for being completely lacking. And that's the moment when we can really see it for what it is. It exposes our pride because we think we're doing all right. And then God's like, yeah, what about this? Ouch. There's no place for pride in that context. It exposes it. And it's very humbling. And I think the most silly one, and and not silly in like a, a, just personally I think it's silly, but I, I get so disappointed in myself for sinning. And, I, and, and, and I, you know, I, I do a little bit of sales in my job. And expectations are set, are what set cause disappointment. You set your expectations too high, you'll be disappointed. And I think as humans, oftentimes we're like, I'm all right. I'm doing good. Ah, oh, I screwed up. And there's this like, disappointment in ourselves that we screwed up. And I, I think in one sense, we, we try to compartmentalize it and say, well, well, my life over here, that's the bad part of me and this is the good part of me. I want to stand over here all the time. And when we get a glimpse of the bad side, there's like this disappointment and shame and we want to push it away. And I think one of the things that God does for us is he allows us to be just real. Lord, I am broken. And there's this part of me that I don't like. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it before you and allow you to see it. And I'm going to just be honest. I'm going to be real. And when I screw up, I'm not going to be disappointed because guess what? I'm going to screw up. I'm going to screw up tomorrow. I'm going to screw up the next day. I have this body, this flesh, that until I get to heaven, I won't be free from. And until that time, I'm stuck with it. It's going to be hindering me. My heart's fickle. My heart's going to wander. And when I do, I have two choices. I can be ashamed and disappointed and, and run from God. Or I can go, hey, God, look, I screwed up again. That means we got more work to do, and I can't wait to see how you're going to change me. This means I need you more. This is, a, this is where I need to be. And, and I think when we read about sin in the Bible, we're like, oh, man. But it's like, no, we need to be real with our sin with God and others. It just needs to be a part of who we are. We need to be authentic. And I, I think there's a, there's a couple solutions to this. And, and I already mentioned it. Don't be surprised or ashamed of your sin. Bring it to God. Just, just be honest and real with God. And I think you have to watch your heart. Because our hearts often play games with us. Ah, oh, you screwed up again. God's probably disappointed with you, you know. He probably didn't see this one coming. He thought you'd do better. You know, and you get these, these, these voices talking, these, these tapes running in your head. But God's not disappointed. God is never disappointed because guess what? He knows everything you're going to do. He knew it 2,000 years ago when he died and paid for it all. It's already done. In his book, it's already been wiped clean. So when you come to him with it, he's like, yep, I already dealt with that. Let's move on. Thank you for asking for my forgiveness. Here it is. Here's my grace. Let's go. I'm done. I've moved on. And we're like, yeah, but, but aren't you mad? Aren't you disappointed? I'm disappointed. He's like, no, let's go. Let's move on. And, and, and we, we get stuck there, and we put things on to God that he, doesn't, he never expresses. 
You know, he's never disappointed in our sin and saying, I, I thought better, I expected better you, of you. And I, I got stuck there a lot. I'm, I'm, I, I liked shame. I felt good when I knew where I was screwing up. I was like, ah, at least I know where I am in the world. And, and I think some of us get stuck in that. We're like, oh, I've got to figure out what I'm doing wrong today so I can know that I'm worthless and, and kind of feel right before God. Because if I feel good about myself before God, then I'm probably doing something wrong. But that's not, that's not how God sees you. That's not our identity in Christ. Um, outside of Christ, I am a knucklehead. But in Christ, I'm a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And identity is a key part of this all. Is your identity built on your actions or on who Jesus says you are? If your identity is built on your actions, then you're always going to be struggling with shame and guilt and, and all these things that come with it. But if my identity is in Christ says he loves me and he chose me and he's creating a new creation inside of me, then when these things come along, I go, Lord, we've got more work to do, but this doesn't define me. My identity is in Christ. My identity is in who you say I am. Find those verses that help you with that. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation. That's my verse, man. Because I'll be walking today, ah, you're knucklehead. No, there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. And walk in it. Find those things. Make your identity be based in Christ. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find find grace to help in time of need. When we have that new identity, when we stumble, we know we can go right to God. We run straight to him. We go to his throne of grace and we go, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to change me and grow me. I'm here. Here's all of me. Take it. Work on it. Change it. I'm desperate for you. And and that's, that's the key. Here's another key. The goal of the Christian life is not to be free from sin. And some of us are aiming at that. We're like, someday I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to arrive and I'm not going to be struggling anymore. And we're just, we're just looking forward to that day when we're, we're, we're there. Well, I've got to burst your bubble. In order to get there, you've got to die first because that's when we reach that place, is in heaven. On this earth, we're always going to struggle with sin. So make, don't make that your goal. Make your goal to be close to Jesus. Your life will change in that context. If your goal is to be free from sin, you're a Pharisee. You're going to start making lists of sins that you're free from and start overlooking sins that... You can't fix. If your goal is to be close to Jesus, your life will change. And it's, it's, it's so important on what our focus is on and, and what our goal is. Um, and and I, I, like, I like the phrase, you know, Pastor Sean uses humility and faith, are the, are the relational realities that we access grace through. I like the phrases brokenness and dependence because I feel like they're amazing word pictures. God's goal in your life is brokenness, not arrival or perfection but brokenness he wants you broken because that's when he can use you he wants you dependent not independent not doing it but like truly desperate for him to make every move in your life that's when we're the closest to the lord that's when he can do the most work and those are our goals and we get to that through just seeking the lord and allowing him to work in our lives um final point on this section is that when we understand great, um, sin properly, I think it frees us to be more gracious to those around us. Our spouses, our children, we can have such high standards for them. And part of it's because of us. We, we don't want them to be us. Or we, we're afraid of the sin in them. But when we put sin in its place and realize that we're all broken, when our children are knuckleheads, our children are supposed to be knuckleheads. Like, it gets, it's built in. 
it comes pre-installed, you know? Like, like kids, man, everybody's like, oh, kids are so innocent. I'm like, you've not met a kid then. There are selfish, little, angry, little, beautiful, wonderful things, you know? They're, they're, there's just this, this thing inside of them. They're, they come built in as humans. And, and so when our kids are human, how do we treat them? How do we respond to that? I mean, I, you know, you hear parents say, I'm disappointed in you. Well, God's not disappointed in me when I sin. He wants to, he's sad about it. He wants to see me change. But he's not disappointed. There's no identity there. My identity is in Christ. And our kids, we have to be so careful in how we, how we transmit what we understand of God's grace to our kids and how we discipline them. There needs to be structure, no question. There needs to be consequences. We have to, the Lord makes that clear. But we need to be so careful. You know, with our spouses sometimes, we're so ruthless. I see you screwed up, and now I'm going to hold it against you, or, or whatever. And it's, it's the same thing we do internally. We're like, we set this high standard. When your spouse screws up, they're human. Love them and be gracious to them. And, and you could be real about how it made you feel and that stuff. That's important. That has to come out. But we need to be gracious with our spouses. It's so important. And it's, it's such an important way that we, we exercise what we understand about God's love for us and how he deals with sin. The second point I have about sin here is in verse, is, is in verse 10. It says, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also trans, transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And I love this verse, because God's just like, what are you doing wallowing? Deal with it. Let's deal with this. Let's move forward. I, and I think often when we sin, we wallow in it. I screwed up again. And we, we get stuck in this place, and, and we, we, kinda, we, we, have to, we feel like we have to do our penance. I need to feel guilty for a little while and feel like you're mad at me for long enough before I can actually approach you, God, and ask for your forgiveness. And like I said earlier, Jesus dealt with that sin 2,000 years ago. So the only person who has to deal with it is you. You need to confess it, repent of it, and move forward. And I think we often give sin more power by wallowing it and struggling with it and wrestling with it instead of just bringing it to Jesus. Go be real with Jesus. Lord, I've screwed up. Forgive me. Change me. Here it is. It's real. Deal with it. Get, move forward. And I, and I love that about this section. He, he says, go deal with it. Go, go purify yourself before the Lord. Go, go seek the Lord and deal with the sin. Um, and I, and I, think it's, um, I think another piece that we often also struggle with is we feel like we have to beg God for forgiveness. Oh, I've got to ask you a couple times for forgiveness to make sure it sticks. You know, like, I really screwed up bad this time. Maybe if I ask you four or five times, it'll stick. But John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's, a, it's done. It's a one done thing. It's a, it's a matter of faith, right? Do you trust that God forgave you? Or do you feel like you and your own self-sufficiency need to somehow earn his forgiveness or prove your, your contriteness? It's God who's doing it. So, so all we bring is humility and faith. I've, I've screwed up. I trust in you for your forgiveness. It's done. Even grace gets played out even in confessing our sin. It's incredible. The final thing that I see in this story that, that is, is kind of most destructive and I think becomes most destructive in our lives is hidden sin. And we have these sins that we, you know, maybe we can't hide or, or other people know about. Or, we, we, or more importantly, there's a lot of sins we'll talk to God about. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Help me with that. Help me with this. Help me there. Help me there. But there's parts of our hearts sometimes that we close off to God and we say, this sin, this is mine. It's my precious. I'm keeping it in here and I'm not even letting God at it. Or it's things where we just don't even bother to allow him to shine his light into our lives. We don't spend the time to let him examine us and, and, 
and burrow in and find those things that maybe we don't even know are there. And hidden sin, I think, is especially destructive. In this case, it's especially destructive. He took those things and he buried them and he hid them. It wasn't an open sin. It was, it was very hidden. And it was very destructive. Nobody knew about it and it caused all this damage. And I think that's, it's like our hearts. We have these hidden sins in our hearts and they can be cancerous. They grow. You know, a real big one is bitterness. I'm bitter about something and it just kind of seeps in and it's this poison that takes over different parts of our hearts. And it's this thing where like, we're holding on, I'm going to hold on to this bitterness because it's mine. God's like, I need to deal with that. No, no, it's mine. I get to be bitter about this. And it, and it causes this cancer that, that hurts us. And I, there's a way to know, in, I think there's a couple ways to know whether sin is hidden in something we need to deal with the Lord on. And the first one is, does your sin bring you closer to Jesus? Because sin that you're dealing with will draw you to Jesus. Because you bring it to him. It's something that is part of your relationship. Lord, this is something I can't change. My anger, I have an anger problem. Here it is, Lord. Deal with it. Every time I do this, I, I, I know it's wrong and I want to change. Lord, help. I'm depending on you. I'm broken in this area. But a hidden sin, we don't bring it to Jesus. It doesn't bring us closer to Jesus. It's something we don't talk to him about. That's one of the keys that it's hidden. Um, and I think as we learn to trust him, as we learn to, to, to find our identity in him, it's easier to bring these things to him because we start to learn that he's gracious with them and that he's faithful with them. But I think it's so important that you allow the light of Jesus to shine in your heart. And, and that's, that same goes back to point one. Joshua didn't spend time with the Lord hearing the Lord's plan for the, for, for the battle. And it's in those times with the Lord when we're listening, not talking, not reading or studying, but listening, although he uses the other things too, but we have to listen sometimes for the Lord to say, hey, I want to deal with this closet in your life that you're hiding from me. And oftentimes he does it through scripture. As you're reading through scripture, he's like, hey, you see this? This is you. It's like, ah, oh man, that's, too, that's really close to home. But, but if you're not in the scripture, if you're not listening, you never hear those things. And I think also hidden sin affects our families especially because it's often bitterness, anger, lust, pride. And those things are hidden inside of us, but our families get to feel them, get to see them, get to be affected by them. And, and it's so important that we deal with these things so that we don't hurt our kids, hurt our spouses because of the pride or the bitterness inside of our hearts. And, and, and even, you know, hidden sin has this sense of hidden in front of God, but I think oftentimes it's hidden in front of man too. And our, our kids and our spouses need to see us be real. I'm really struggling here. I screwed up. I'm sorry. That's important because our kids need to know that we're human because they're learning what it means to be an adult from us. Oh, well, you can be real and you can be broken and, and before God and still function. Okay, that means that I can learn to do that too. I can, I can come and be real before the Lord and before people around me. So it's so important that we deal with these things for our families, our family's sake. And... Um, and, and I think, I think the, the key detail there is that if we don't deal with it, then God will. Because those bitterness, he loves us so much that he's going to take those hidden sins and he will expose them. And the more you get to know the Lord, the more he exposes those things. Because he loves you so much. And he's like, I'm not going to let this stay. I'm not going to let you go win another battle. You've got sin. I'm going I'm to deal with this. And that's his love and his grace. So deal with it so that God doesn't have to draw it out of you. You know, I wonder what would have happened to Achan if he'd said, as soon as they lost the battle and Joshua said, hey, tomorrow we're going to all meet together and figure out who sinned. If Achan had been like, hey, it's me. I'm sorry. 
Here it is. I, I don't know what God would have done. I don't know what would have happened. But instead, he waited until the, the finger got put on him, right? It, the next day, they all show up. There's four million Jews standing there waiting for, for somebody to get picked. And they've got to go all the way down. Okay, Judah, you know, Zerah, Zimri. Oh, oh, it's you, Achan. He had that opportunity. I don't know if he was hoping to get away with it. You know, he was still hoping to spin that cash. You know, I got that cash buried. Maybe he'll pin, spin it on somebody else, you know? And that's what we do with hidden sin. It's our little thing. Someday I'm going to get to enjoy this. Although we never do. Those things never deliver what they promise. Um, and the final thing is that when we do deal with our sin, as Joshua did here, he destroyed that sin. Achan had to die. And, and it's, it's very strong. You know, it's the Old Testament kind of, like it's a very clear picture. And God wanted to send that picture to the Israelites. I'm serious about this. Don't, don't, don't cross these lines. And so Achan died. But once it was dealt with, guess what? God's like, all right, we've dealt with that sin. We've, I've, I've dealt with it. It's done. I've moved on. And I, I think that's a powerful picture for us as well, where we need to move on when the Lord moves on. And the rest of the story in Joshua, I'm not going to read all of Joshua chapter 8, but chapter 8 is a beautiful story. He goes, okay, God, what do we do? And God says, go take that city of Ai. He says, I want you to set an ambush. So they set an ambush. A small part of the army hid behind the city of Ai. The rest of the army came out in front of Ai and said, hey, let's fight again. And when all of Ai came out to fight them, the, the, the Israelites turned and ran like they were defeated again. And so Ai was like, sweet, let's get them. And they chased them. And as they chased them, the guys in ambush came, popped out, burned the city down. And when the people of Ai turned around and saw that they'd been had, that their city was burned, and now they were surrounded, it was, the, the, the battle was quick. The battle was over. It was a simple battle. And and that's, that's how it is in our lives often. When we've got these little things we need to work through, the Lord wants to deal with something in our life for, for a further purpose. You know, he's, he's, got a, he's got a purpose in our lives. Um, you know, one, one point I, I missed that I wanted to hit before I, I close out this is that sometimes the Lord allows sin in our lives to stay so that we'll learn a more important lesson. You ever had that? You're like, Lord, like, like, like a good, I'll pick a good example, anger. I have an anger problem. I don't generally, but some people have serious anger problems, right? And they're like, Lord, I've asked you to take this. Why haven't you taken this? I'm trusting you. I'm, I have faith and humility. Why aren't you working? And I think sometimes the Lord allows those things to stay because he cares more about growing your character. Because if he took it, you'd get self-sufficient. Hey, I'm doing all right. And, and I think we have to, when we're praying about the things we're struggling with, we need to be praying, asking the Lord what he's teaching us. And be aware that sometimes he's going to let you struggle with some things because he wants to build your character. He wants to teach you to depend on him. He wants you to be desperate and, and really sold out for him and really come to the end of yourself because that's more important to him than the sin that you don't like the way it looks. He cares about the underlying heart issue. And, and so it's something to just keep in mind when we're struggling with things to just really be seeking the Lord on what he wants to do through it. So to recap, first point is we lose access to grace when we stop being in relationship with Jesus. This is often pride at its root. Uh, we don't need Jesus. We got this. Second thing that, that, that can be a real problem is we need to remember that we, have, we need grace for the little things. The little battles in life are just as important as the big issues. The Lord wants to show himself faithful through that, and he wants to teach us not to be self-sufficient in the biggest and the littlest things. And the third issue is the danger of sin. We need to be very, very careful. And, and that's, that's kind of the point of all this, right? It goes full circle. Okay, sin's dangerous. How do I not sin? by being humble and, and, and full of faith and trusting the Lord. And, and, and it's this cycle. We're either being prideful and self-sufficient and sinful 
or we're being humble and dependent and full of faith and God is changing us and molding us and making us new. So what does it look like to be closer to Jesus? I'm going to wrap up. I know I'm running out of time here. Um, for me, that's time in his word. And, and I have a little bit of, a, of, a, of an opinion here that that time for me needs to not be studying. You know, sometimes we take out our Bible and we feel like we've got to squeeze some truth from it. We get our commentary and we get our, our, con- our, our devotional and we, we're like, we're, we're trying to squeeze something out of the day. Like, I've got to get something from you, God, today. And for me, I find that the most fruitful Bible reading, and that's important, studying is beautiful and awesome and, and I do it too. But my daily time with the Lord is simple. I read the scripture. A couple verses, a couple chapters. I'm, I'm usually two to four chapters a morning. I don't try and squeeze something out of it. I'll let the Lord speak to me. If there's something, some big message for the day, sometimes I get it. Sometimes it's just spending time with him. And I like it to, liken it to my relationship with Julie. You know, we, we have some serious conversations sometimes. But the majority of the time, it's just like, how you doing? How was your day? Oh, I went to the grocery store. I feel like sometimes as Christians, we're like, I got to get the commentary. And so it'd be like me asking Julie, oh, you went to the grocery store. Well, which road did you take? Well, why'd you take that road? Did you use your blinker? When you go to the grocery store, what brand of meat did you buy? Well, you know, and, and, and we start, you know, what was the label on us say? You know, we, we sometimes do that with the scripture. We're like, I got to figure out what the Greek is, what the Hebrew is, and, and, and what he was thinking, and cross-reference it 17 ways. And the Lord's like, really? I just want to tell you about my day. I just want to talk to you. And, and there's a time and a place for study, no question. When we're struggling with things, man, dig deep. Take that Bible out, take that commentary out, and dig deep. But I think an important part of hearing from the Lord is just being in the Word. Soak in it. Move through it. Just don't, don't try and squeeze something out of it every day. Just be in it. Let Him speak to you. Because it's in those times as you're reading stuff that He'll just show you something. Be like, hey, if you're reading that commentary, then that really smart man over there would have told you the theological points behind all this. And you would have never seen that I just want to show you something simple about your heart. And, and so I think it's very important to just read the Bible and allow it to speak to our hearts. Prayer is another important piece, of course. And we need to spend some time in prayer. John was talking about this to me the other day, listening. It's very easy to talk to God, but do we listen to God? That's hard. It's hard to be quiet and listen. And, I, and it doesn't have to be hours of this. I, you know, I, I used to, in my old fleshly way, I used to try and hit all these, I've got to pray for this long and read this many chapters and blah, blah, blah. This is a relationship. Some days it's a short thing with the Lord. I've got I to gotta, I gotta be at work. I woke up late. I spent two minutes in the Word and two minutes of prayer. Sometimes it's that. You know, 15, 20 minutes does amazing things for your life when you're spending that time with the Lord. Just let Him speak to you. Um, keep a notebook handy because oftentimes He'll say something to you and you need to write it down so you can remember it. It's like, I want to deal with this or you need to go talk to this person. Write it down and then you can follow up on it. That's a, that's a key. I don't journal. Some people get a lot out of journaling. I've never gotten anything out of journaling. So if you get something out of journaling, then, then do it because it's very powerful for some people. It doesn't work for me. So um, that's a whole other thing. And um, I think the, the, the final thing about being in touch with the Lord is the Bible uses the phrase pray without ceasing. And that's the idea. The word in Greek is kind of the idea of a nagging cough. It's just something you're just constantly doing, you know, that tickle in your throat. And, and, the, and I, I found that it's been really fruitful when I just, whenever the Lord brings something to mind, I pray about it. And it's funny because I used to be like, oh, you brought up Bob and I forgot to pray for Bob again. And I think the Lord's been like, I brought him up so you would pray with, pray for him. So say a prayer, you know, like, like this is my spirit speaking to you. Don't, don't 
let it be condemnation that, oh, you failed to pray like you wanted to. Just when, throughout your day, bring things to the Lord. Hey, Lord, I'm struggling. Hey, Lord, I'm praying for this person. And, and just watch how when, we're, when we keep the communication lines open with the Lord, He starts to speak. And you have to learn to listen for His voice in that. But as we just spend time talking to Him, be real. It's just gonna, it's gonna be amazing how you start to hear from Him often. So as I close here, um, you know, there's one more thing to mention. If you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord, if you're not in relationship with Him, then you don't have access to this. And, and so that, and that's simple, right? It's simple. All we have to do is you know we just have to be kind of what we, we like we've talked about it. we have to be honest with him about our sins admit our need for him here's my sins i confess them to you i need you please please become lord of my life help me with this stuff i i'm trusting in you for not only my salvation but my righteousness and to change me and and that's that's all there is we, we bring that to the lord and that's all it takes to be in relationship with with jesus it's humility and faith I'm broken. I'm confessing my sins. Will you forgive me and come into my life and change me? Um, I'm going to have, go ahead and hand it over to Jared. We'll close here and Jared will close with the song. And uh, that's it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for these stories, Lord, as we read these stories. We, we wrestle with, um, with things, Lord. I pray you would speak to our hearts, Lord. You would remind us of what it looks like to walk in your grace and walk in your love. Lord, you... You've, you have so much hope and peace and joy available for us. And um, we miss out on so much of it because we're not, even, we're not even looking. We're not even asking. And so, Lord, we just pray for um, you just to speak to our hearts, to guide us in how we walk in relationship with you, how we grow in grace, how we grow in dependence and, and faith and humility and brokenness, Lord. And I pray for um, all the unspoken prayer requests in this room, Lord. We all come to church every Sunday with things on our hearts, Lord. And I pray you would just minister to people's hearts. I pray that you would shine light on areas that need to be shown light on and that people would deal with those things and bring them to you. And we love you so much, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.